Good morning. Easter, two weeks away, you know what that is. That's the end of the rainy season in California. So all you who are praying for the end of the drought, you have to stop praying for that after Easter. We want our sunshine back. Well, listen, we're in the middle of our Simplest Way to Change the World series, which ultimately is a series on evangelism. It's just that when we hear that word, we freak out thinking, wait, am I being asked by God to go up to a stranger and hand them something to read that feels uncomfortable, it feels awkward? Well, imagine the other person, how it feels for them as well. Now listen, if you have a gift of evangelism, the Lord's going to lead you to do some of those really awkward, uncomfortable things. We want to be faithful to be led by the Holy Spirit. But the hospitality series that we're talking about is really the main way at Cornerstone that we want to reach our neighbors And it's just by opening up our lives and our homes to them in a much more natural way. Last week, we talked about hospitality as just loving strangers. And we did a live text poll where we found out that 50% of the people that were here in that service said, I'm open to hospitality if the person is safe-ish, right? If I can just, if I size them up and think I can take them so they're welcome in my home, then I'll open the door for them. Hospitality is creating space for a stranger to become a friend. And it's hard to say someone's a friend if they haven't sat at the table with you. Romans 15, 7 says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so we want to have an attitude of welcoming towards everyone that's around us. God never gets our address wrong. He's placed us in our communities for a reason. So it just so happens that this last week was the monthly neighbor night that the Dean family has established to try and be more intentional about meeting people in our neighborhood. And so I was walking around uh, with my daughter. We were walking around the neighborhood doing a walk that we've been doing lately. And I started telling her about, you know, God's desire for us to meet neighbors and how we're going to do this. And what would you believe this little pastor kid said to me? She goes, Dad, you're just looking for a sermon illustration. And I was like, well, not only a sermon illustration, you know, and we shared the scriptures about how important this really is to meet our neighbors. And we had a great time meeting a family that we've said hello to a bunch. The kids have been playing together a lot, and we finally had them in our home. Today, we're going to identify who our neighbors are and some changes we can make to our personal culture to become more welcoming towards them so they can experience the blessing of God themselves. And to answer that first question, who exactly is our neighbor, we'll turn to the scriptures and see how Jesus answers that specifically. In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, somebody actually asks the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled and came where the man was, when he saw him, took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? 
The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And so we see from this passage that in reality, a neighbor can be anyone that we come across that has a need. We need to start seeing those opportunities as divine appointments because the real issue we see in the passage was that the priest and the Levite who should know better, they didn't see that person as their neighbor. They awkwardly crossed to the other side of the road trying not to make eye contact, walking softly so they wouldn't call out for help, thinking, not my person, not my problem. And I'm not saying that every single time we see someone in need, we pull over and we never actually get to work. We never actually get to the grocery store because we're constantly meeting with people, but being open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So yes, whoever we come across can be our neighbors, but let's develop a heart that is ready to serve those strangers by getting to know those neighbors closest to us. This is an important part of following Jesus. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment that we could follow? He answered this in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If Christianity ever seems confusing and you're wondering what God wants you to do, in all of your moments, just ask the question, is what I'm doing or about to do loving God and loving my neighbor and really, that sums up the entirety of the law if we keep ourselves within that simple boundary. So who exactly are our neighbors? Well, we should start with those that are closest to us, that we know, but we don't know them deeply enough. And so even though neighbor can mean anybody we come across, it also means the actual neighbors we live next to. One of the things that I've found helpful and you will find creepy is that I map my neighborhood. Let me show you what I mean on the screen here. Now you're gonna think I'm weird and that hurts, but you're justified to think so. This is my neighborhood. There's like a big letter O, a capital C, and a lowercase c. Those are the 70 homes that surround my house. That's the neighborhood I've decided, okay, these people are the ones that I want to reach. Now, I could have made that a little bit smaller, but, but that's a task that I have is I'd love to get to know all of their names. I'd love to, to know their stories. Now, that, that'll likely take a lifetime to do, and people are going to move in and out of the community, but that's an ident identifiable area that I can say, these are my neighbors. These are people that are going to see me and wonder who I am. And, and wonder what our family is up to. So printing a map like this is a helpful way to see your neighborhood as a mission. And I, I use the website acrevalue.com because on Google Maps, there's all different kinds of advertisements popping up. And I show you how you can do that. But we actually have this printed. But what's very important is, yes, print it, but hide it. <laughs> this is not the kind of thing you want your neighbors to actually see. All right, listen, and can you imagine if they come into your house and on the front of your refrigerator, their house is highlighted with strings to newspaper articles. They're like, oh, what kind of serial killer am I living next to right now? This is not on the front of my fridge. This is on the side of my fridge. I recognize how creepy this is. But we have this printed out. And as I meet a new neighbor's name or my wife or kids do, we write their names next to the house. We highlight the colors of the people, uh, the houses that we, you know, that we live next to. We say, okay, yellow means we've, we've met these people. You know, blue means that we've had them over our house. A certain color for they've described themselves as, as a Christ follower. Um, 
And so we're using this to remind ourselves, are we actually reaching our neighborhood? How do we reach them even more? Mapping your neighborhood is super creepy, but helpful for seeing your neighborhood as a mission field. But it's not just the neighbors you live next to. And I would encourage all of us to identify at least nine neighbors in the different spheres that we live in. And so we, we can find neighbors where we live, where we work and learn, and where we play, right? And so I just described how to find them where we live, but also you spend a lot of time at work or, or at a school. My wife's meeting many of the, the kids' parents at the school our, our kids are attending in Murrieta, right? They go to the local public school for elementary school. It's great, and we get to meet so many people in Murrieta because of her reaching out to those parents of the kids that are in our classes, or where they play. Our kids are playing flag football, baseball, and and Abby's doing horseback riding right now. And so for some, we're only going to get to know these people over the next eight weeks. So we're having like a a mini focus on the parents of the kids that are, you know, our children are playing with in these different activities. And so identify neighbors. Maybe for you, it really is your neighborhood and you're just going to pick out nine neighbors that you want to get to know and, and reach out and begin praying for, or it could be your workplace or where you or your kids are hanging out, playing and doing your hobbies. And so that's how you identify them and answer the question, who's your neighbor? But how do you meet them after you've creepily identified them? How do you meet them? I love Romans 12, 13. It just real simply says, practice hospitality. Practice is not something you do one time and then you learn a new skill. It has to be daily. Other translations of this verse say, seek to show hospitality. Be given to hospitality. Be inventive in hospitality. But it's something we have to practice and make a part of our lives. And so I want to give seven simple ways that we can meet our neighbors and practice hospitality. The first is be willing to initiate. Assume that it will forever be a smile and nod relationship unless you take it a step further. And the way that we can initiate is by practicing the always rule. You're always going to hate this rule. You're always going to think you don't have enough time for this rule. But the always rule is if you see a neighbor that you haven't met yet, walk up and introduce yourself. And you can say, I know we've lived here for 15 years, but I just, I've never gotten to know your name. What's your name? Here's my name. I don't want to introduce myself. Or if they're new, you can say that a lot easier. But it's worth it even if you've been next to each other forever and haven't asked them their name. Always go and do that. There's never going to be a perfect time. By definition, you're outside because you're going somewhere else. You're going to think that that's more important than meeting a neighbor. Create those margins in life where you can meet your neighbors. Another way is just to be outside more. No matter how cool your inside is, be outside specifically in the front yard or or in your neighborhood more. We're doing this as a family by trying to take more walks. And so um, I have a kind of a, a twofold thing as far as how this benefits our family. Monday, uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday, when I get home, before I sit on that couch and get exhausted and never want to get up again, Shannon preps the kids, gets their shoes and jackets on, and, and I take one kid out for each one of those days. So each kid gets one 10-minute walk around our neighborhood with their dad. And this is a good parenting thing that I can do where I just focus entirely on them. They just tell me all about their day, and I'm just trying to steer the conversation in, in great ways. But then our second goal is that we would also meet neighbors. If I start walking with my kids Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we're gonna meet more neighbors. Thursday, we leave the kids at home to fend for themselves for nine minutes while Shannon and I walk around the neighborhood and have a little marriage walk there. This has been helpful for us just to walk outside and meet new people. 
Just last week as we were walking, I was going with my daughter around the neighborhood and some lady stopped us and said, are, are, are you a pastor at Cornerstone? I said, yeah, how'd you know that? She goes, well, we just started working at a new church, a different church in the community, and we looked up the wrong website when we were exploring if we wanted to work there. So we looked up Cornerstone, read your bio, saw that you lived across the street from In-N-Out like we did, and you had people over on Sundays, and we see a lot of cars parked at your house on Sundays, so we figured you were the one, you know, that was there. And I thought, oh, this is how creepy people feel when they, when they realize I mapped the neighborhood. <laughs> this is a lot of research. So I took, I took the map and I put a big red shading on her house. It's like, danger, children, don't go near that. That's a lot of research to do there. I was like, oh, that's how I probably seem to people. But just being outside more, you get to meet others. Maybe it's washing your car yourself in your driveway because it takes a long time and it's a lot less easy than going somewhere, but you're outside more to meet your neighbors. There's digital ways to do this. You could join the local uh, Facebook groups. There's one for every town around here. You can join those groups, give recommendations. About every week, somebody's asking for a good church. You can put Cornerstone on there and let them know where you're going. There's a website called meetup.com. The tagline for the website is where interests become friendships. And there's just, there's hiking groups, biking groups, all different kinds of groups where you can just join a group that meets in your town, in your area, and just meet them and start developing friends with an intentional purpose of uh, being an influence for the Lord. If you've got kids, you could host a lemonade stand. It's a little weird if you do that without kids, but doable, but mostly weird. Um, but you can have your kids, you know, do a lemonade stand, but instead of them just reaping all the money, which is going to be a big fight, um, maybe you say, hey, the money goes to address a need in our community, or we're raising this money for a nonprofit in our community. And you just get to meet the neighbors and avoid going out to the busy streets. Stay in your actual neighborhood so you're meeting real neighbors that live around you. There's ways you can use food and dropping off cookies with, with a note for, for other neighbors. And think about this not just weekly and monthly, but annually. What's the holiday you like to celebrate the most? Why not try and invite other neighbors and make that more of a neighborhood celebration? Whether you get the permit to block off your street for a block party or whether it just stays in the front yard of one or two homes, it's a great way annually to continue to reach out. An annual garage sale, just sending a note to all. It's a great reason to contact your neighbors. Hey, we're having a big community garage sale. As many homes in this community as can have a garage sale, more people are going to come. We're going to advertise it. But then you walk around, you know, the, the garage sales and meet the neighbors uh, is another neat way to do that. Over the next few weeks where our kids are still doing flag football and, um, and baseball, we're going to try and meet enough parents where when we suggest at the end of the season, hey, instead of us going to a pizza place, let's do the end of season sports party at our house so we can show them some hospitality. My family has chosen the, the practice of walking a lot and having a once a month neighbor night. And so this week was our once a month neighbor night. And because we've been walking a lot, we, we are always aiming towards that. As we meet a new neighbor by the mailbox or get to know them and say hello a few times, we know exactly where to invite them to, uh, to that neighbor night. And it becomes something that we can make work in our schedule. And it really has been a good habit for us to start. So there's, there's dozens of ways to meet your neighbors. Actually, there's 100 ways. If you go on our website, you'll see a PDF. You can read 100 ways to meet your neighbors. Many of those ways you're going to think are silly or aren't going to work for you. But out of 100 ways, I bet you find five that you're like, I could do these five and meet some new neighbors this year. When we take this effort, it communicates to people, I see you. 
I'm not just ignoring you. You're not so unimportant that I, you know, just walk away from you. I see you. And if I see you, God sees you. God has a plan for you still. So we meet our neighbors, but then how do we go about blessing them once we've met them? How do we build a good relationship where we can say we're loving our neighbors? We're being a good neighbor to them. Well, the strategy from the very beginning was blessing. God wanted to bless people so much that it started to learn that, that God, their creator, was a good God that loved them. From the very beginning, Genesis 12, 3, to Abraham it was spoken that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, the specific fulfillment of that prophecy is that a descendant of Abraham, the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself, is the greatest blessing to everyone uh, in the world that chooses to follow after him. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise. But Jesus dwelling inside of us is a continual fulfillment of this promise. People should experience the blessing and goodness of God through our lives as we choose to bless them. 1 Peter 3.9 has a context of persecution where it's like, hey, if you're being persecuted, don't repay evil for evil, but here's what it says, bless, for to this you were called. If we're called to bless our enemies, those that are mean towards us, how much more should we be a blessing to those that live around us? And so, as we think about sharing our faith and evangelism and we get nervous because we think that means I have to pass something out and, and have an uncomfortable conversation, maybe if the Lord's leading you to do that. But we're saying instead of asking the question, what do I say next to push this conversation towards Christ? We say, how can I bless the person in front of me? It's much more organic and, and fun to say, how can I be a blessing to this person near me? And so we're going to use the acronym BLESS to remind us how to love our neighbors. And this is really something I hope that we memorize and bring up often at Cornerstone, how to be a blessing to others. The acronym BLESS, the first letter B is simply begin with prayer. Maybe take the, the nine people we identify where we live, work and learn and play, and we say, I'm going to start praying for them daily. I'm going to pray that the Lord gives me an opportunity to get to know them more, to move them from stranger to friend, so that eventually I can move them from friend to family of God. Who are these people we're going to be praying for? 2 Peter 3.9 says this about the Lord's heart, which gives us confidence to pray. The Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The heart of God is that people would be saved from their sins. This doesn't happen automatically because we all have a free choice if we're going to repent of our sins and follow after Jesus and receive that salvation from him. But isn't it good to know the Lord loves people? He desires us to reach out to others so that many, many would be saved. And so pray in a regular fashion and watch the opportunities open up. As God senses that we have a heart to bless and love our neighbors, he's going to allow us to have deep conversations with them, to bump into them in, in you know, ways that feel like, oh, what a coincidence, but are no longer a coincidence because God knows our heart is that of a missionary trying to minister to those around us. So begin with prayer. And the L stands for listen with care, right? Listen. And we do that best by asking questions. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. 300 times he would just ask and try and get us to reveal our heart, our idols, our desires, our pain. 
so that he could show the love of God in those situations. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. This is a hard one for me. I love talking. I do it on the stage every week. I love, I love chatting. And uh, thankfully, if you come over on a Sunday to our house to have a meal, I'm so tired of talking that I'll just listen. And it seems really kind, but I'm really just tired. If I had the energy, I would talk and cut you off, promise. But, but listen, I want to be quick to listen. And, so, and the best way I can do that is by asking questions and listening in a way that shows caring. What do you talk about? I want to show you a model for what we can talk about that moves towards Christ. It's called the concentric circles conversation model. Start on the outside of the ring. It's like the thing that's farthest away from who we really are. Just the facts. What's your name? <laughs> How long have you lived there? Tell me about your family. Great place to start is just the facts. And then move on to common interests. What do you like to do? What are you doing this weekend? Maybe the Lord put you there because they have the same common interests as you. And you're like, oh, we should do that together. I would love to do that with you. That sounds like a lot of fun. Then you can get closer to pain points. Maybe by sharing how this year has been difficult for you and seeing if they want to open up and talk about pain that they've been experiencing. And from pain, it's very easy to then get to the spiritual story, who we really are, how do we determine what's valuable, what our goals are, what we put our hope in, our faith. And you can start sharing stories about who you really are. This is a great thing. We just kind of roll the conversation back and forth like you're playing tennis, not trying to one-up their story with a better story, but real, really casually and organically moving closer and closer into what really matters in life. And this doesn't have to happen in one conversation. This could happen over half a dozen conversations as you don't force it. And then the E stands for eat together. This is the most fun and tasty of all the letters in the acronym, right? Jesus used meals intentionally to show that people were not beyond the reach of God and that God loved everyone no matter what they've done. It's at the table that strangers can belong before they believe. They, they really start to realize that they're not a project to you that you'll eat with them and talk with them without having to feel the need to invite them right away to church or share the gospel with them. You just love them for who they are. Jesus did this. Jesus used meals strategically. We see this in, in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter, well, let's call it Luke chapter five since that's the real truth. Luke chapter five, verse 27 says this. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So we actually have the question, why, why would you eat with people that are so different, so far from God? Why would you use meals intentionally? Verse 31, Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus used meals intentionally. And he wanted to hang out with those that were farthest from God, that had the most pain because of their sins and society's sins, because they're broken and his heart broke for them. And he wanted them to know that God loved them. And so he was happy to eat with sinners, but not sin with sinners. The S stands for serve with love. We don't just serve our neighbors to convert them. We serve them because we care about them. 
Right, they're not a project. And so it's not, hey, I only serve to show you love so that you are converted to Christ. No, we actually care. And so if they're in need, we want to meet that need. Be real practical about this. I saw a cornerstone wife bragging on her husband and her son, saying, I'm so blessed that my, uh, my son and, and husband are, are doing yard work for the neighbors. So happy they're doing yard work for the neighbors. They're just out there showing love to this community. I thought that was amazing. But one of the best ways that we can look for opportunities to serve is as we listen with care and discover someone's pain points. They recently had a big job loss, a huge health issue, or went through a painful breakup. In those moments, you jump in and begin to serve them. Right? You, you bring meals to their house. You, you, you listen to them and spend time with them. You help them find a new, I mean, whatever it is, when somebody is vulnerable and tells you their pain points, they also show you a way that you can serve them in love. And it's what we're called to do. 1 Peter 4.10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What, what an amazing thing to realize Yes, the resources we have in some way, maybe we've earned them, but the better way to think about everything is everything we have has been given to us by God. We've received it from God, and we should use what we have to serve the people around us, and we should describe what we have, how the Bible describes it, that what we have is God's grace in various forms that we can use to bless others and show them God loves them. And so they're receiving this blessing. What an amazing way to see our own resources. And finally, this allows us, because we've earned it, to share our story. The last S is for story. We want to share our story. And there's there's really two big stories that we get a chance to share. The first is your big faith story, your testimony, who you were before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and how things have changed since you've met Jesus. You should be able to share that in a short three to five minute conversation, longer if people want to hear more of the details, but your journey. Maybe you've earned the right through blessing your neighbor to finally they say, what's your story? Why do you have hope? Why are you doing this? Or what gives you the reason to have hope? And you share your faith story. But also it's good to have God sighting stories, you could call them. These are stories that happen after you have faith in God. And they show that God is relevant even after the moment of salvation. You can find these stories by identifying these five questions. What was your personal pain? What did that pain do to you? How did God show up? What difference did it make? And then invite a response. Ask something like, can you relate after you've talked about a pain that you have and how God showed up? Yeah, God showed up in a big way when it came to your sin, being saved by Jesus. But God continues to show up, amen? God continues to be relevant in our lives and a savior in our lives today. And so we share those smaller stories as well. And eventually, you may have a chance to, to share not only your big faith story, but the story of Jesus himself. And you, can, and you can relate to them directly and say, this is how my brokenness was dealt with with Jesus directly. We're told in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be ready, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for you to have the, the, the hope that you have in you. When they look at you and say, what is this hope? It says, do this with gentleness and respect. Well, by taking time and delaying 
sharing the story of Jesus for a later date because you're focused on praying for and blessing your neighbors, you are doing this with gentleness and respect. It will happen organically over months and years, and you'll trust the Lord's timing. But you're like, yeah, but how do I share the story of Jesus? Go back to those pain points, those moments of brokenness. Let me show you how you can use three circles to share the story of Jesus. You don't have to draw this out, but you can. Often people start with their brokenness. You're here and you can ask them, hey, can I share with you while how, how Jesus helped me in my brokenness as they're sharing about their pain point? And you can go back and say, God's design didn't include that brokenness. God created a perfect world. God didn't intend for us to have this pain and brokenness, but because of sin, the sin of humanity and our own sin, we do live broken lives, but God didn't leave us like that. Jesus gave us a way to have restoration after brokenness. If we would just believe in him and what he did on the cross for our sins to deal with our sin problem, we begin to grow into God's design. We begin to live the way God wants us to live and we'll still experience pain because of other people's sin and, and just how difficult this world is, but maybe we'll stop shooting ourselves in the foot and walking into so much pain because we're living according to God's design instead of according to our own minds. This is a simple way to go from brokenness to sharing about the faith we have in Jesus. Last week I mentioned Hebrews 13.2 and how we should not neglect to show hospitality because we may, we may even by accident show hospitality to angels and you're like, man, that's really cool. It's probably not very often. We're gonna know the people we're showing hospitality to. We're like, they're no angel. But let me tell you what happens every time we show hospitality. I wanna read to you one final verse. This is a guarantee. Every time you show sacrificial hospitality, you say, know what, this person's valuable enough that I'm going to love them. This is what happens. This is a, a future conversation we're gonna have with Jesus one day. Jesus said to those, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. And listen to this, I was a stranger and you invited me in. We're gonna say, when? I wish I did those things for you, Jesus, but I didn't. I did them for other people, not for you. And he'll respond in verse 40. Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. As we show hospitality to strangers and move them from, from people we just smile and nod to, to friends, in a real way, we can say we are doing this because of Jesus. We're doing this for Jesus. He takes it as if we are performing that act of kindness to him directly. We've, been, we've received the love of God, and so we pour it out. And it's not that we pour it out on those that Jesus loves. He's saying, it's like you're doing it for me directly. What a motivation to respond in love to the great love that we've already received. And so, Father, would you help us to do that? Lord, we, none of us want to be dangerous, you know, we, we want to, but we do want to move people from being strangers to friends and, and give them a space where they can eventually even hear about being a part of the family of God, where they can belong and know they're loved and they're not a project well before they actually believe. We want to actually love our neighbors and so help us to identify who our neighbors are and then move through this idea of blessing them because you live inside of us, Lord. You work with us and you desire to bless those that are around us. We don't want to be like the, the priest or the Levite that walks to the other side of the road. We want to engage in the brokenness around us and show the hope we have in Jesus. Give us the strength to do that. And you've already inspired us, Lord. Help us to respond to that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, next week, we're going to finish our series on hospitality. So I hope that you can join us for that. Right now, we've got a prayer team available that would love to pray for you. You can come forward for prayer. God bless.